Hi, and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm Christina Beckhold-Russ. I cover the UK and Europe for Samsung Next. Over the next several months, we'll be sharing interviews recorded at this year's Tech Open Air Conference in Berlin, where some of today's leading minds in technology gathered in early July. Each week, we'll highlight the human stories behind tomorrow's most groundbreaking innovations. Hey there, this is producer Laura Flynn, just popping in really quickly to let you know that this episode covers a product of a sexual nature. So if you have children around, skip this one for now and listen later. All right, back to the episode. I'm your guest host today, Johnny Tiernan, publisher and editor-in-chief of Lola Magazine. And today I'm speaking with Laura Haddock, who is the founder and CEO of Laura DiCarlo. Hi, folks. Hi, Johnny. Thanks Hi. for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Um, so yeah, let's start with your story. How did you get where you are today and what is it that you do? <laughs> uh, do we want to talk orgasms or do we want to talk like professional career? Because they're kind of the same thing. Okay. Um, I had this crazy orgasm when I was actually uh, approaching med school when I was about 28 years old. And this was probably about 10 years into a medical career post-Navy. And it literally knocked me off the bed and I landed on my back on the floor like a total idiot and stared at the ceiling and just thought, how do I do that again? <laughs> you know, I was with a partner and I'm looking at that partner and I go, how do I do that again by myself? And, you know, after some years of actually like trying to pursue, like, how do you do this? I actually really dove into the physiology of uh, erogenous zones, like being in healthcare and having kind of an obsession with anatomy and physiology. I wanted to know how to really do that again. And I discovered that there are, you know, there's not just a couple of erogenous zones. There's a, there were many. And at that time there were like, I'm looking at a list of like 12 and I'm like, okay, well, which ones do I want to, you know, pursue the most? And the one that I discovered was what, you know, women's health calls a blended orgasm mm -hmm. or the holy grail of orgasms. It turns out there was no product that could do this because I was in search of a, you know, the holy grail. I decided to do the design myself and there were three big problems I wanted to solve. Uh, the first was I wanted something that felt like a human partner. I wanted to eliminate vibration. So in order to do that, we needed to create biomimicry or the mimicry of human motion. So I wanted that human partner experience. The second, I wanted something that was totally hands-free. In order to do that as well, um, I needed data. And the third part was I also wanted something that could fit not just me, but multiple people because I had tried products in this, you know, pursuit of finding this perfect orgasm. I tried many products, you know, that were supposed to fit me and they didn't. When you start telling people, I think that there's a product that I can design and create that creates this amazing orgasm. And I think that there should be more products that are created by people with vaginas for people with vaginas because surprise, there's not many. Most of them are created by males and they don't really know a lot about our physiology. So I'm asking these people, where's your clitoris? Where's your G spot? Where, you know, can you tell me more about your personal physiology? And I start getting these data points in and then I end up creating a survey. I end up going on social media. I end up pulling this data. Mm -hmm. And after getting over 200 points of data about where these spots are on, on different kinds of people, I started seeing a trend in that data. And when you see a trend in data, then you can actually start designing something that uh, can be engineered. So I ended up sitting at the same table with uh, Dr. John Parmigiani at Oregon State University. I told him I'm tw I was 28, I had a blended orgasm, and I want to create this, this sex toy, and he just 
blanched, turned bright white and didn't quite know what to say. And then I handed him a document. I've come from a family of engineers. So I handed him this document with 52 engineering requirements. And I say, but this is how I want to do it. And he just brightened up and said, well, that's what we do here. Because Oregon State is actually the top four robotics lab in the country in or in in America, he got very excited. We created a uh, an industry funded research program in partnership with Oregon State University, and six months later, we had a bunch of students, uh, PhDs, and professors working on the project, and we had prototypes. So we had applied for the Consumer Electronics Show mm-hmm. and applied for their Innovation in Robotics and Drones Award, and we got it. And when that happened, we realized, you know, we thought that that really signified a a change um, in the willingness and acceptance of not just tech that had to do with sexuality, but in female-created tech that had to do with sexuality and, fem- and femtech, period. And then about a month later, when we were trying to apply for exhibitor space, because if you want to be in their showcase, you have to be an exhibitor, they flagged us and said, wait a second, that has to do with vaginas? That's immoral. And they took it away. And that's when things got really interesting. And we started to fight the CTA. And we pointed out everything that was arbitrary and capricious and and biased and started pointing out the fact that there had been no female keynote speakers in 2017 or 2018, that there that there had been VR porn that was geared towards males there on the floor. And that, you know, even there was even a, a robot that looked like a female and had boobs and a face and it you know, could talk and it would do sexual favors for you. But our product was considered immoral or obscene. We ended up with this crazy rally cry of support. Internationally, we ended up with a ton of coverage all over the globe. And we realized we really had something there. And we realized that was what started to create this this social mission that we started to cultivate uh, that was rooted in gender equity. That had three main points in that, that social mission for gender equity. And that was creating diversity for uh, folks in tech and in business in pursuing sex and sexual education and, and really destigmatizing spaces there and advocacy for all sex, all genders and gender parity. So we took that social mission and we've actually put that on equal footing with our profitability. And that's something that's really different. Um, you don't see that in a lot of companies because Years ago, that would have been considered, you know, suicide, company suicide, because you don't want to make a big statement on that uh, about things like that that could possibly create polarity in your audience. But the fact is, this is what we really believe in. And we know that if we're going to make a change in the industry, if we're going to create a platform and create spaces where everybody can sit at the table and innovate, and we're going to create products for everyone then that's the only way we can get it done is if we have true gender parity systemically throughout multiple industries. Do you think there's a bias against women in tech and specifically in sex tech? Absolutely. Um, How do you think that manifests itself? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That, that definitely it manifested through, um, you know, the, the revocation of our award. We see gender bias, not just in tech, but we see it in healthcare. We see it in art. We see it in fashion. We see it in VC. Um, It's, it's absolutely systemic. So I I would definitely think there's a bias there and and we're here to eradicate that. Mm -hmm. And does it does it make it more difficult for you, for example, to secure funding for your um, product? Yes and no. When we started to realize the kind of wave that we were creating, this this huge crescendo of 
of voices that, that were coming together that were crying out against this kind of bias we actually had a lot of people come to us and say, we're really interested in your product. We see this being very profitable. And we saw an opportunity to basically hand select our investors. We'd pitched and we had already looked at quite a few VC spaces and we had an opportunity. So what we did is around that same time when we raised our first round, there was a, uh, a law that went into effect in in U.S. It was a federal law that actually each state kind of got to pick their zones called the Opportunity Zone Laws. And it turns out if you put your company within one of these Opportunity Zones, the investors that invest capital gains in that company or in that fund, when they pull them out 10 years later, they incur no taxation on those funds, which is a really great incentive for investors. So the trick was finding the right people that really understood our mission, that were a good fit for us, and then really talking them through how that could work. And one of the most interesting conversations we had was, like I said, in previous years, it's not popular to be a company that has a very activist platform. But I think that we are in a position now in society where being an activist, where taking a stand for what you believe in is actually, it's trending. It's very popular. Most consumers are making their decision whether or not to buy or not to buy based on whether you are a socially responsible company, based on whether your platform is in agreement with you know what they want to see happen in the world. Having a socially active company and having that platform is actually profitable now. Taking a stand for what you believe in is very possibly profitable. So when we pitched that to investors and we, we, we understood that we had the opportunity to speak to people that understood the ethos of what we're trying to create on what we're trying to achieve, we found people that wanted those same things and they saw the profitability in that. And they wanted to see the same kind of changes that we do because they also understand that having a company that pursues multiple different genders, multiple different preferences, sexual preferences, multiple different ethnicities, embraces people of color, embraces people with handicaps, that does not make judgment based on where you come from, but the skills that you provide and the potential that you have as an individual when you can bring all those people and set them at the same table, you make a much more varied product. And when you have a more varied product, you speak to a wider demographic. And when you speak to a wider demographic, you make more money. Hmm. So it's profitable. When investors start to understand that, they're happy to sign up. Yeah. I understand you've got a, an all-female or almost all-female engineering team <laughs> and an all-female team almost. Um, yeah, we're, we're actually, we're diversifying. We yeah. have some men now. <laughs> Um, we, uh, we started out with almost an entirely female team. We mm -hmm. had, uh, a director of production, uh, who had originally worked for HP, uh, that was a male. He still is a male. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, this is funny because he's, you know, very white, cis, straight, hetero guy. And this was the coolest thing ever because we had a mostly female team. Our senior mechatronics engineer is a trans female. Um, we had, uh, women that identified as queer. Um, I identify as being bisexual and they're, you know, multiple different kinds of languages and really it provided a great opportunity for education and constantly having conversations around what language, what language means, how we create an inclusive language where everybody feels comfortable. So, you know, this guy in his fifties who literally has a yak farm 
out in the, <laughs> out in the countryside and is an engineer. And he's so excited about um, this inclusive language and this mm-hmm. inclusive culture that we're creating and the things that he's learning. So it originally we had almost an entirely female-facing uh, team. And we're actually kind of branching out a little bit. We have a, another uh, male electronics engineer and our sales team is starting to really diversify as well. We have a lot of people that are in the queer space, that are in the LGBTQ space, that are um, female facing, that understand different demographics, that can speak to that, they can create art, they create language, they create marketing spaces for people of all different kinds of lifestyles and preferences. And that's the only way that I want to keep innovating mm. is making sure that we can talk to all these people. So it starts from the inside and goes all the way out to the outside and it goes from the bottom all the way to the top. Yeah, that's really cool to hear. There's a company in uh, Berlin in Germany called WowTech that develops sex toys. They yeah. developed the Womanizer and they said that uh, employing as many female and getting as many female um, identifying and female involved in their company is, a, is a, like a real driver for them. But they said yeah. where they struggle is getting engineers involved and yeah. said that even though most of their team is female with engineers it's nearly all men which is kind of problematic because a lot of the time they're developing toys for women yeah um how do yeah. you think having an all-female team influences the, the product that you're developing oh it's a it's a um it's a huge advantage i'll tell you that because they um a woman designing something and when you try to explain to somebody you know i want it to feel like that mm-hmm. versus i want it to feel like that I, I don't know, it, it, like being able to explain something to somebody that has a vagina, that has a clitoris, <laughs> they're definitely able to get there quicker. Mm-hmm. But as far as um, being able to hire those folks, one of the smartest decisions we made was putting our engineering lab right next to Oregon State University. Like I said, they're, mm-hmm. they have an amazing college of engineering. Our first hire was Dr. Ada Rhodes Short, who came out of their uh, PhD program. And we've got two engineers that are coming up to finish their, uh, their degrees in engineering. But I mean, you, you really have to, you have to look. The other thing too, is that we've had people come to us. People ask us, like, are you hiring? Mm. Um, and it, a lot of that isn't just because of the product that we're creating. It's because of the social mission that we've created. It's because, you know, instead of just saying that we believe in something or saying that, you know, we're here to do something, we actually do that. So instead of just being educators um, or just being uh, mentors in the space, which are very important parts of what we do, we are actually being change makers in spaces. Mm-hmm. We're actually being the activists in these spaces. Yeah. I have to admit my own ignorance. I didn't know what a blended orgasm was until today. A lot of people don't. Yeah. Um, what's, I was uh, going to ask how many women know about it and how many women experience the blended orgasm. So yeah. we, uh, we actually were, we're in the middle of doing a, um, a survey. Um, we're doing quite a bit of research. We're very data driven, um, as a company, especially as a tech company. Um, and I want to make sure that we're never engineering or, or innovating or creating products inside of a bubble. I don't want to, I don't want to go out and be like, I think this is great. And then, you know, this is for everyone. And then, not actually test it, get it to market and go, nobody has any idea what I'm talking about because it was just for me. We make sure that we test everything. We're going through a lot of testing right now. We've um, surveyed over 1,500 people that span the gamut of, of what a good segment of society looks like right now. We actually increased the LGBTQ population because I really wanted to understand how open they were to how, like sexually about talking about sex with their partners, about um, their own physiological knowledge of their own bodies. So we found that that portion of people is they know where their clitoris is. 
like a higher percentage of women know where their G-spot is or they know about the blended orgasm more. But what we found generally is that not a lot of people know, period. So we're looking at about somewhere in the the realm of 70% of women know where their clitoris is, which blew me away because I was like, everybody knows where that is. And it's not the case. Um, not everybody knows what a blended orgasm is. But I guarantee you when you talk about it and you tell them, yes, this thing does exist and it does exist for everyone. Everybody has a clitoris. Everybody has a G-spot. You know why? Because the G-spot is actually made up of the same erogenous tissue as the clitoris. And the clitoris is actually about the same size as your hand. Only We only see one little tiny pit mm. part of it. That's the glands clitoris. So we see there's a, a lot of erogenous physiology that goes beneath the external physiology, branches out around the vaginal canal, and then there's a small bundle of nerves just on the anterior wall of the interior of the vaginal canal. That's the Grafenberg spot. That's the G spot. It does exist. Um, but we've also demonized female sexuality for so long. Women are afraid to touch themselves and figure out if it does or not. But that's why we're here too. We're never, we don't ever want to disparage anyone from wanting to ask those questions or know more. We want to educate people as much as we can. And will your future product be the thing that opens this, this knowledge yes. and this gateway to them? Is Absolutely. That yeah. Um, yeah, we, uh, what's really neat about this product is it's entirely like customizable. Um, it can be moved, it can be shaped, it can be literally conformed to the internal and external physiology. So such that when you get it into the right spot, you can actually toggle each function up, down, on, off individually. You start to understand more about like where those spots are on you how you like things a little bit more. You start to understand like just how you like that experience to be for yourself. And what's really interesting about that is you educate more, educate yourself more about your own experience and your own preferences. And what's fun is that then you can go and you can tell your, your partner, this is exactly what I like. That's empowering. That's very empowering. And that also brings people closer together. Cool. And when do you think this will be available to, for people to purchase? And- it'll, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question, right? Um, it'll be available this fall. So, uh-huh. uh, the other thing of note is that we will be having a presale, um, coming up shortly. And the only way to get on that presale list right now, um, and, and actually get the product and guarantee you get the product, uh, when it comes out this fall is if you go sign up on our website, sign up for our newsletter at lauradacarlo.com. Then we'll be doing that release this fall. And we've actually got, uh, four products that are nearly finished as well that are going to be coming out in the first and second quarter. Uh, and we've got a good 10 products, uh, specs ready to go and they're already starting on the engineering there. So we've got some big plans, um, on the horizon. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering, like, when it comes to branding, now you're doing your brand, right? Yes. I mean, so it's in pro- process now. Am I right? Uh, we finished like a second, second round of branding. Um, we did some stuff up front uh, this last year. We're still a startup company, so it's constantly it's evolving, yeah. but it's getting more uh, specific. Our brand is getting much more specific, and that's that's a fun journey. But yeah. yeah. And what what has been the biggest challenge in the whole process? So when you're when you're branding, um, when you're creating that brand, you want to speak to your demographic, right? Who has sex? Everyone. So how do you create a brand that is really for everyone? And when your values are rooted 
in respect and empowerment and integrity. That's what our company values are. And that for us means truly creating an inclusive environment. How do you make sure you include everyone? That's been a big focus of ours. How do you, how do you create something that is for women and people with vaginas, but maybe for somebody that identifies as a man that has a vagina? How do you make sure that men feel included? Because we do plan on making products for men. How do you make a brand that is for everyone that is clearly for, for sex and for lifestyle? It's been a very difficult road. It's been a lot of difficult decisions. How do you make something that's has a lot of joy and positivity in it because that's exactly what orgasms do. They're good for your health. That's been the goal is to create something for everyone and to make sure that we're never disparaging or ostracizing any one group of people. So the idea was to ungender it as much as possible, to create as much body inclusivity and body positivity as possible, um, to make sure that we're including all sorts of ethnicities, including all sorts of abilities um, and folks with handicaps. All of these people deserve to have amazing sex and amazing orgasms too. We tried to keep it as neutral as possible and as inclusive as possible and to really try to maintain the joy that you get because everybody deserves pleasure. You've spoken about including diverse people on your teams yeah. and about receiving a lot of diverse feedback from your products. Um, when you receive two directly contradicting pieces of evidence or of feedback, mm-hmm. is the right thing to do to make the average? Like how, what do you do when you get two completely opposite bits of feedback? Um, I think it depends on that feedback particularly. We haven't for this product, we haven't gotten that kind of feedback for this. But like I said, we're also creating products that are, you know, maybe for one person and not for another. Um, where this first product, this hero product is concerned, we're trying to make this as inclusive as possible. So we're trying to go as middle of the road as possible and create something that can be customized to each person's uh, individual shape and nature and how they like to masturbate, basically. So that's why this product is so complicated. That's how we're actually branching out our product roadmap. We don't call it a product roadmap so much as it's more of a product interstate because we we get something, uh, what was it, like just a couple weeks ago, we had already sent the product off. We've sent all the drawings and the specs off to manufacturing. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my engineer's... They all have like a minute to like breathe and maybe they'll take a couple days off and, you know, they'll enjoy themselves. Nope, they did not do that. They went uh, right back to work and I, I, I went to the lab and uh, Kim Porter, our director of engineering, was like, I have something to show you. And, um, you know, we went into the lab and there's this table and it's just covered in stuff. And, and Dr. Ada Rudd Short, our senior mechatronics engineer, is like, I want to show you these things. So there's all of these little products just covering the table. There's like 10 of them. And the cool thing about our lab is that we've uh, really streamlined our ability to innovate. Um, and we've really dialed in the the iteration process. So we can literally like CAD something up and print it in uh, multiple different densities and um, have that printed. And they can wire that up and have it working in like a week and print that up and print the form up and reiterate over and over again. So in the last few weeks, they went ahead and they catted up all these different little products and they've already done the firmware for it. They're all wired up. They all have power and they're all moving around the table. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, these are like things that I wrote, like we, we talked about specs for like ages ago. Now they're all sitting here on this table and I'm like, this is so amazing. And what is that? And she goes, oh, 
I thought that one up. And I'm like, I would have never thought that. That is a, and it's a brilliant idea. That is freaking amazing. Kim's like, I did that one. And it's, it's about having that diversity. It's about not just going, oh, well, this person likes it. This person doesn't. It's about going, well, what do you like? And what do you like? Instead, we're trying to focus more on the experience and how we tailor each person's experience rather than creating a product and then trying to schlep it out to each individual. We're taking in the experience and then we're, then we're creating specifications and an idea about how to solve that person's personal problem or, or create that personal experience. So it's not just about one product. It's about a ton of different products that are, are tailored for each individual. I'm just wondering how much of a danger there is from competitors copying your technology. Oh, it's dangerous. Um, it's uh, it's a rather volatile industry um, as far as copying and, and reproducing. Um, the tech that we've created is it's going to be pretty hard to copy. So the thing that we are most worried about is the reason you haven't seen a lot of product photos is because the product's done. It's gone off to manufacturing, but the second you actually publish that photo or publish a video of it working, you will see a copy of it within weeks um, by a competitor or by a no-name competitor that looks just like our product. Guarantee you won't do what we do, but they're going to try and they do it very quickly because they're, we've actually uh, filed nine different patents. Um, utility patents based on the technology that we've created. But there are a lot of places that don't uh, honor patents and they're going to go ahead and just get it out to market as fast as possible, especially seeing the kind of support that we've gotten. Um, we have a very large, we have a large following already. And I think it's not just about the tech, it's about making a statement. Yeah, I was going to say it's like a part of a modern business is not only creating a great product, but a brand and an identity yep. that people can align themselves with, yeah. especially if a competitor is going to come along and offer a product really quickly. Yeah, you, yeah. You want to hope that your message and what you stand for is what people will opt for as yes. well. So that I can understand that's why I feel like it's a very important aspect of of your business is to have this identity, these values and, and yeah. live that that brand, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, like I said, like at some point we realized how important that, that was. It's always been very important to me. I mean, let's be honest. You don't, you don't finish high school or finish college and go, I'm going to be the CEO of a sex toy company. It just doesn't happen. Um, but when I realized like, you know, I could create this, this product, this device, this sex toy. Yes. And, and start to educate people and help them help them feel more empowered and and give them something that helps them discover their body better um and then who knew it could blow up to and in, in, uh into a space where we can fight for for gender parity and um and use as as an education tool to help people understand that you know gender is not necessarily binary um it is fluid and um and how that affects society and how that affects women entrepreneurs and minority entrepreneurs and uh how they innovate as well so that mission is extremely important and and actually being in the space and being cognizant and taking up space is equally as important so thank you Thanks for listening to What's Next. We're currently releasing a new episode every week from this year's Tech Open Air Conference in Berlin. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com forward slash podcast. I'm your host, Christina Beckhold-Russ. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King, Laura Flynn, 
and Eliza Lambert, with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we would love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email, podcast at samsungnext.com. Cheers. Cheers.